0: you're gonna face walls for the rest of your life. And many of us do. He said, all you need to do is think about how you can get over the wall, around the wall, or under the wall. But I was going to my desk, hiding from the other staff. And I was the CEO helping propel big brands like samsung and facebook and apple and toyota and coca-cola i was like powering it i just still felt all those wheels went on the ground
1: hey guys welcome to another episode Uh, my guest today is will travis will grew to become one of the most respected and connected brand building leaders of our time his propelled brands like coca-cola nike absolute facebook netflix I can keep reading until tomorrow, so I'm going to stop here. Um, he propelled him to the Dazzling Heights and built and sold two of the world's most iconic advertising branding agencies, ATIC and The Sidley. After retiring in Bali, he used his skills to elevating people, which actually was part of his retreat called Elevation Barn, and I loved it. He definitely propelled me to a new heights. Check out my post on it on Facebook and Instagram, and I, I talk a lot about it. And today I want to talk about Will's incredible journey he shared some with in the in the retreat we were, and I want to just share it to more of you guys to hopefully wake up some of your souls. Will, welcome.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me here.
1: I want to start with your story because you definitely have an unusual story. Your dad was the first candy maker. Mm. Tell me about it.
0: He was uh, William Shaw. He was like the real Willy Wonka. But he, he was actually the probably 15th in a line of William Andersons that I'm the 16th. Wow. Uh, all from that that business and uh, yeah that north of England creating candies and bringing joy to uh, children around the world but wow, it didn't work too well because it ended up killing him
1: oh no that's a that's <laughs> such a sad story yeah. uh, the person who created candy killed him wow
0: yeah yeah it's not the, the sugars the uh, it, he actually died of stomach cancer after six months and so wow. when I was six months old so I think I was his last Sahar with my mum yeah. and then uh, but his memory w- grew up with me huge throughout wow. my life
1: I heard that uh, important role for you played your stepdad
0: yeah amazing yeah John Travis uh, so I was William Anderson short and then became John Travis when I was four and he was a totally different character uh, instead of being like a creative entrepreneur um, very introverted guy like my real father he was a little bit more gregarious as a and he was a, a headmaster yeah. helping children. And he was even knighted by the queen for his contribution to wow. education and the scouts by bringing the arts into academia in the north of England. But wow. I didn't really realize his his real true impact on me until I wrote his eulogy, okay. which was a bit sad. When you start actually jotting down how awesome somebody is. Yeah. And it actually ties into a lot of my work, you know? Write down your dreams of where you wanna go as though it's the last statement that people will acknowledge you for.
1: Yeah. So what was some of the learning from this eulogy that you can share?
0: Well, he, he created the stage for others. He was very much about how can you give people that have often not got the right support the wings that they need? How do you take that expectancy backpack of, of troubles off a child's back? Because some of these kids, this was in the north of England, and some mm. of these kids were coming from fairly abusive homes. Uh, school was actually a safe place some of these children didn't have meals at homes their meal was the lunch that the the um, school would give to them and so it was it was a tough balance it was a tightrope walk for him to work out what people need but also how do you do that in a compassionate way and make sure it doesn't become too Elevated beyond who their true grounding is, yeah. And so he helped the kids ground themselves and then propel forwards into the life that was ahead of them.
1: Yeah, I think you shared the story, if you don't mind sharing with you how I think you were not as good in school, and then you had <laughs> to face him once, and then he he teach you a good lesson on that.
0: Yeah, not good at school is pretty much of an understatement, <laughs> to be honest. Now, I um, I didn't know that the word like dyslexia and. ADD and all this sort of stuff didn't exist, you know, when, when I was nearly 50 years ago at school, started out in school. And I used to, I, I just found it easier and the answers came better if I copied off people that were brighter than me. Yeah. So I used to do that. And I even, I kind of even faked getting into the school I went to. My mother, I grew up with three older sisters and, I, you know, the stepfather was working so hard in academia. And uh, I was therefore very much surrounded by a feminine household and my mum had gone to boarding school and my, my real father had gone to boarding school and they wanted me to get into a school like that. And there was a great school called Lancaster Grammar that was uh, a public school but one sixth of the kids were boarders and it was very cost effective, it was like three grand a year for the kids to get into boarding school wow. for your accommodation. And I got in there somehow my mum actually went to see the headmaster after I failed the entrance exam. (laughs) I don't know what happened in there, but I got in and um, I found out later that the reason she really wanted me to go there as well, is she had cancer as well. She'd just started getting cancer and hers lasted eight years. But I got into the school and um, I tried to do the kind of copying thing there as well. And I got busted when I was in the second year at school by the kid. Next to me, he was a good-hearted kid, but you know, he called me out and then built a wall yeah. out of cardboard around his papers every time we did tests. So now I'm totally lost. I don't, I can't copy off anybody. I can't see anything, and that sort of put me into a psychological phase of, of lack of belief in myself. You yeah. know, when suddenly you're relying on something that's not really there,
1: yeah.
0: an academic skill set that wasn't really mine. It, it's like taking the, the ground from under your feet. And so um, I came quite introverted. I hadn't spoken a lot as my childhood, having three older sisters and a mom and a granny and not getting a word in edgeways. But I went into this academic system of just getting by. Yeah. I got the lowest grade in Latin, like 11%, terrible at French, had to do trumpet in se- instead. And I managed to get through what they call O levels yeah. and into these A-level areas. And when I got into that, mum passed away, and I also went into my exams, but I failed them all so abysmally. Yeah, And I was in line to get my exam results with two guys that were great friends. I've managed to create a new persona of confidence because of lack of academic skill. And I, I, I got my results along that alongside them, getting to A's all going to Oxford and, and to Cambridge, and I got, zeroes yeah. in, in this level. And I had, to, I had to go out, my father, my stepfather had taken me to the school to pick up my results because it was in the summer when they gave you the results. And I had to go back into the car and I sat there and I was like, fuck, I just, what do I say to the guy? Yeah, His wife's just passed away, he's a headmaster. He, he's put every penny that we've got into my academic success and I've, I've, I've got zero. And he said, how did you do? And I said, to be honest, I've let you down. And he said, well, how? And I said, well, I I, I just, I thought I'd do okay. And actually in the exams, I thought I did great, but I was actually making stuff up. New biology (laughs) solutions, new geographic locations. I was just being creative. I'm like, well, this makes sense. Yeah. And he said, you know what? You're gonna face walls for the rest of your life. And many of us do. He said, all you need to do is think about how you can get over the wall, around the wall, or under the wall, and we all face these walls in life. Yeah. He said, the wall around your boarding school, he said, wasn't an obstacle to you as a child. I remember you telling me a couple of years ago that you'd rolled over that wall to get your first pint, yeah. and kiss your first girlfriend. He said that wall wasn't an obstacle then, it was part of the journey. and when you fail if you look at it as failure it holds you back but if you look at it as part of the journey you'll celebrate it and that I didn't realize how much that affected me until these wolves as he as he predicted constantly faced me I wanted to go into the advertising profession and every advertising agency the biggest in the world declined me none of them would let me in and I'd, I'd moved to a small town in the north of England to do communication studies I've managed to make a way through the system I took a year out managed to qualify I got one one course pass then another course and I ended up going to a really great university in a place called Huddersfield and um, I couldn't get in any ad agencies I felt the vibe I love the communication I love the storytelling but when I had to write my dyslexia kicked in and when I had to show the creative execution of my skill set I'd never really designed yeah. and so I got stopped and stopped and stopped so I I asked a small graphic design company, can I work for free with you? And um, they immediately said yes, but I joined a team that had ultimate optimism. They were in a team that said, yeah, come, do whatever you want. And the career continued from there. I managed to find a different way. I did not go in the front door. Yeah. I went through the roof. And it's been like that through all my, my life, to be honest. Wow,
1: uh, the one thing I wanna to touch on, you touch a lot in the retreat, is how passing of your parents influence you the whole of your life so can you talk a little bit about that what what obstacles did that create for you and how you how you overcoming them now
0: yeah the parental bit has always been inspiring I always looked at my parents as an inspiration you know, having no parents from the age of 18 and my stepfather continued and that was great he got remarried and then moved on to another family and you know, we weren't even invited to the, the, the new kids' weddings and things, so well, we kind of just got on with our own. But having this imagination, this belief in the journey that they'd been through, the journeys that I'd been through, it just kept the romanticism of I could do something by a partnering with people in the design world that felt that there was no ceiling, just allowed me to keep going, but I, I actually, ended up leaving England when I was 24 because I got fed up with the culture celebrating my failure more than my success. And sometimes in life, you just got to get out of the pond. If you're in the wrong pond that isn't promoting your potential and where you can go, Mm -hmm. you can sit in it and stay and wallow in it, or you can get in another one.
1: Yeah, that's so beautifully said. A lot of people don't understand that. They were just, oh, I don't know. Everything is so depressing. I'm just going to, I don't know commit suicide or I'm just gonna get like just depressed yeah all you have to do is just move next door to, to somewhere else and
0: absolutely can... and, and and trust me I've been there I've been there many times where I was like you know what I never thought I'd live to 40. Wow. both parents had died by then
1: yeah
0: and I thought well the, the journey is going to be too short and let's ram in as much as you can do I, I'll be dead by 40. yeah and when I got past 40 I kind of got I went into more panic like fuck <laughs> What do I do now? Yeah. You know, my aim was to be successful, you know, millionaire by the time I was thirty, nailed it. Do this, do that. I had every huge failure hit me yeah. in my thirties and then into my forties. But then it was just like, What do you do with your life? And that's why I actually started to pivot in my career, because I realized I wasn't really happy. I was living a falsehood because I was good at something, not because I love something.
1: Wow. And did you remember how this realization came to you yeah um,
0: I was actually the true story is I was sitting in a bar late at night and maybe taking a step back I'd realized through my advertising and my creative career that I wanted to help other people and I'd worked with people like Emma Thompson she played Nanny McPhee you know done these amazing things on this project called safe helping women that had had these challenges in life feel safe in this environment that she was in. And she was helping uh, a woman's center, a woman's home where people were hiding out. Then I was helping uh, people get uh, food, people that couldn't afford food. So we were doing this project called Meal for Two. I bought food in a restaurant, and that extra bit of money would pay for a child in another country that couldn't afford food to eat while I ate, Beautiful, et cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera. So I was realizing that that was really important. I was helping and doing projects in New York on the refugee crisis. How do I create an environment that the refugees could feel like they were supported by the money in New York City, blah, blah, blah. And I then um, left the advertising world. I moved to Bali thinking I needed to reboot. I was in this point of depression because I was—I'd sold my agency to a very large company and I was kind of, I felt bullied. I felt that I was held back. Everything I tried to do, somebody was saying, don't do that. Do what, exactly what I do. And I lost my belief in myself. So when I sold that company and I went through the buyout, I thought I could hide after selling the company. I ended up becoming the CEO of the larger, huge communication company. But I was going to my desk, hiding from the other staff. Wow. And I was the CEO. Yeah, I'm like, there's something really wrong here. And when my buyout, I actually cut my buyout short. And I went tracking lion on foot in Africa. Wow! I was like, if I need to reignite what fear really is, go face something that's terrifying. Yeah. And you walk in the bush with a camera. You know, my guide had a gun and the tracker had a gun. Yeah. Some reason I didn't get a gun. You know, I spent the whole time working out how I killed a lion with my camera. How do I (laughs) smack the hell with it, or suffocate it, or maybe stick it in its throat? I mean, this was constant, Uh, but it reignited what real fear was and that people should not make you feel scared. Yeah. Everybody has a story, and if you don't believe in your own story, their story will be imposed on you. Yeah. And so I was going into that. I, I then decided after I'd come to Bali to reignite to what I felt was a more heartfelt culture. The community here care about each other. Because yeah. if they don't, they get kicked out. And if they get kicked out, they have nowhere to go. Yeah. So they have a far more detrimental approach to community that we do. You know, we can keep moving and keep hiding and keep pretending. But there, these people know you from birth till death. It's spectacular. So I came to Bali to reignite what community was. Now I'd reignited what fear was. And then when I was going through that, I got a calling to go back and lead one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world, world, Saatchi and Saatchi. And I spent six months negotiating with the guy, the chairman that became a friend, Kevin Roberts, amazing man. But on the last day, he said, "Well, look, man, you've got to make a decision. You're coming. Or not. I'd even picked out my office in New York City. I had 143 offices. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not feeling it. I'm going to back off. Wow. And he's like, don't worry about it. It's a long road. We'll see each other again. Don't worry about it. No problem. Such a gentleman in how he approached it. But the next day, another friend called and said, look, I want you to help build this global creative agency. Away from just the smaller colloquial town of Montreal, where it's based, into an international company. And it was in partnership with Cirque du Soleil. We were going to create the biggest event of like Ted meets Burning Man of creativity with change makers, architecture, design, web elements. And I was like, wow, this is the perfect box of toys to actually make something incredible. Yeah. And I did it. I, I left Bali and I went back to do it. But the the opportunity the the reason why i did it fell short and it became not true and we were doing we were spending 12 million dollars for a 4 day event bringing in luminaries from all over the world but doing nothing with them yeah that's serious and it felt like we were doing we were with great people but there was no traction yeah and it was in the latter part of that job as ceo in north america and being in in being in in asia and all over the world helping propel big brands like Samsung and Facebook and Apple and Toyota and Coca-Cola. I was like powering it. I just still felt all those wheels weren't on the ground. And one night in a bar, short story long, I turned to a friend and I said, I really feel like these friends need help. They've summited their incredible skills, but they haven't got the confidence to do the next summit. They're, They're going down off the mountain yeah psychologically they're feeling that they're not good enough anymore they don't have that childlike grit i said you know what i face this all the time with companies products that need elevating services that need people to believe in them why don't i apply this process to them and my friend said why don't you do that i said i am and a couple of old fashions later i crafted an email i said guys i'm going to host a weekend called sort your Shit out nice good name good name Let's do this weekend called sort your shit out. And two of them were in England, two in East America, two West America. And they all said yes. And I'd looked in my note the next morning and I didn't know what they were saying yes to. Yeah. You know, we'd been out on the night. I was like, oh my God, I've jumped. And it was based, the Elevation Barn was founded on the principle of how can I help six friends Through my diverse perspective and my process of experience, help lift them. Because we all get in a trench, we all self-doubt, we all have worries and fears because somebody's told us something, and it's really deep-rooted. Every single person has it. I read this article saying, by Deloitte, say ninety-five percent of people in employment are unhappy. Yeah, I'm like, we are in a confidence crisis. And on the second day, I realized I wasn't just sorting the shit out for my friends. I was sorting my shit out. And by the end of it, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, you know what? I want to elevate people. And they said, well, why don't you go be a Tony Robbins, be a coach, be a whatever. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. I want to elevate people in a barn raising technique. Because you six have elevated my thinking beyond where I could ever go. And I'd known them all for 10, 20 years, yeah. but I'd never asked the right question. And they'd never asked, given me the right answer on where I needed to go. It was embarrassing, yeah. self-doubting and not knowing.
1: So I guess people who are listening are very curious, what are those right questions? If you can give some examples that people don't ask themselves.
0: Yeah, the, the first thing is just to actually, when you come into a barn or when you spend time thinking about where you're going in the future, put your career aside. If you put your career outside, take your shoes off so you actually have a psychological metaphor that you've left what you walk around in and ground yourself and think about what brings you joy. I used to say happy, but happy can be short-term and just something that's a little bit more like grinning. Joy is more deep-rooted. It's like holding your child or looking in the eyes of your partner and loving them, whatever it is. I actually start by just grounding it let's share what brings you joy. Yeah. Then what are the values of those different areas that come from joy? So if joy comes from different portions of life, adventure, friendship, career, aspirations, whatever it is, then you suddenly realize your values. Once you realize your values, then you can ground what you need to do according to those values.
1: And yeah.
0: then also wanna know what are the characteristics that you associate with, what you admire.
1: Because
0: yeah. in branding, we want to know your values and we want to know your characteristics. Once we know those, then we can start building the brand campaign that everyone will believe in because they're true. Yeah. If they're built on, on fallacy, people will leave you. If you say this phone can fly and it can't, yeah. people will throw it away. If you say this phone can connect you with other people and it fails at times, You love it for what it can do and you'll forgive it. Yeah. And so the barn process is very much based on humble, grounded, human centric needs. What do you need people to know about you? What do you need people to know about that you don't want them to know about you?
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Real connections and thoughts. And what happens in the barn is that on day one, people come out with a layer and a perspective of what they really want. Yeah. Right? You were asked to pick an object of where it wanted to be. Yes. What was your object? Come um,
1: my object was one time it was Jenga because you ask a few times. Right. And the other time then it became Iron Man. <laughs>
0: right. So it evolved. Yes.
1: And that's what happens.
0: At the beginning, people say the object, this is what I want my life and my future to be. Yeah. But it's what they think others think they should say. Yes. Including themselves. But after two days, three days of listening to yourself and realizing, you know what? I'm bullshitting myself. Yeah. The barn's about just having the chance to, with space, a chance to reflect. So you can actually think about yourself. Beautiful. And then with time, by the camaraderie of people that actually care about your story, because it's a small group, these groups of thousands of people, tens of people, hundreds of people, it's bullshit. You don't know anybody after that. It's like you go to a conference, you hope you find someone you like, you usually clamp onto somebody out of desperation, feeling lonely, not feeling good enough. And you make a face, a a false best friend. After you've done the barn, you come out with deep rooted connections that will last a lifetime. Why? Because they actually know what the little boy or little girl needs, but in the present day. And many of our friends don't know about the child. And many of our childhood friends don't know about where you are today. Yeah. it's two different camps but the bomb process allows you holistically to be seen and once you feel seen you can be and once you can be yourself you can feel like you belong now we're building a movement of high-level
1: impact of what's authentic and what's true beautiful the one of the one of the most some of the most interesting exercises you did yeah. was about the superpower mm. and uh, I'm not gonna give everything away, but essentially that you also mentioned it in a talk, so that's why I can I can share. Yeah, it. no, 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 yeah. Um, the choice. fact that the superpower you choose is actually something that you need the most help with. Yeah. And you shared a beautiful story about the fire, how you are making the fire. Um, <laughs> can you share that because I think it's very very impactful.
0: Again, this the elevation Balm for me is a journey. As it is for everyone that does it, and I grow constantly by doing this work. And I'm not a woohoo kind of guy. I'm not somebody that believes that there's this and believes that there's that. I believe destiny's there, and even though I try and change my destiny, it keeps knocking back onto the onto the the river that I'm supposed to be in for some yeah. reason. Um, but it goes back to the the, the the last. It was even just last uh, last Christmas holiday. In December in, in New York City and I make the fireplaces we have two beautiful fireplaces in our home this home has been a five-year build of passion and, and belief in, in creating a safe place for my family and for friends and one day I was getting a little bit pissed off that there was only me making the fire yeah and my wife's family were all there eight of them in the, in the room and every time I'd be the one carrying the logs through the living room making the fire or carrying the logs into the study and making the fire. And everyone would sit around quite happily watching me and, and rubbing their hands with the fire and the warmth and loving the time. Yeah. But you know what it's like after a few days of being with family, by day eight, I was kind of getting a bit pissed that nobody else is carrying the logs. Why is nobody else lighting a fire? Yeah. So one day I decided not to. I had this little childhood, childish boy, you know, sulk and left and went out for the day i was hiking with some friends and i came back and the whole family was sitting in the living room by the fire with coats on (laughs) and i'm like they didn't even light the fire i left them and nobody had in my mind the initiative to light the fire or the skill to light the fire so what did i do i still had that childish boy thing i went into the study and I lit a fire there. And my wife came in and she said, what are you What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm lighting a fire. You know, trying to brush it off as though it was just, you know, making a cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, she goes, well, why aren't you making the fire in the living room where everybody else is? I said, well, I thought I'd like a, light a fire in here. She goes, why are you being so selfish? Everyone needs a fire in there. I said, why couldn't they light their own fire? And she said, well, you light the fires. Yeah. I said, I know, but I don't want to light the fires all the time. Why don't they do it? Get some initiative. He said, well, they actually are scared of lighting a fire incorrectly because you're the guy that makes the fires. Wow. And then I realized, oh, my God, my ego, my superpower of making fires can actually prevent others helping you. And it, it went all the way back. I had Steve Lillywhite, is a music producer, U2, Rolling Stones, et cetera, do the barn. And I said to Steve, what do you need in life? And he's like, I, I just don't know what my legacy is. Wow! <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're a legacy creator. You've created hundreds of bands and artists, but you don't know how to do it for yourself. He says, I can't do it for myself. He's like the cobbler's kid's shoes. And yeah. Then things start to click, right? They're dominoes, yep. these ideas. So then suddenly I'm realizing, wow, the people that do the great dinner parties, one thing they always complain about. Why does nobody invite me to dinner? Yes. Knock on effect. Well, they don't want to be embarrassed that you're going to turn up at their house and go, well, this is a pretty crap dinner party. Or we would have done the arrangements differently. Or wow, where, where's the napkins? Yeah. So you don't get invited. You're a threat. And it's the same with the superpower. I only realized I'd been building brands on their superpowers all these years. And then suddenly realized that the number one thing you need help with is help with your superpower. So for mine, it's motivation. But you try motivating me so hard. Yes, because if you try and motivate me, I think you're criticizing that I'm not motivated enough. Yeah. And so I defend it. So you have to try and find a a way, a solution of turning off that tap. Otherwise, it consumes you.
1: I love that you reframe the question because everybody asks, what's your superpower? That's like a cliche question and then you answer and they're like, "Okay, then you're going to help me with that. But in reality, you're right. I need help. Like my superpower was problem solving or complexity busting. Complexity busting. yeah. And yeah. I was talking to our friend Sim today and he had the same one, complexity busting. And we both agreed that we and we were helping each other to bust complexity because this is something that in my life, I cannot do it. Right. Just I'm paralyzed. Right.
0: And how did it feel with him helping you? Amazing. Right. Yeah. Because you suddenly realized that one, you've actually cut off that muscle in their skill set to help you but you've also smothering yourself by thinking that your solution and your way of doing complexity busting is the only way. Yeah. His complexity busting technique may be totally different. A lot of people who come and do the barn of, you know, empathy is their superpower. Yep, And they feel like they're always helping everybody else, but nobody helps them because they think, well, they must be great. They're okay. They've got it sorted out because whenever I'm feeling bad, I go to them. Yeah, And they've got the answers. Therefore they must have the answers for themselves. Yeah. That's beautiful. But once you actually realize that I Could do with a little bit of help it opens up a whole different world of Perspective on what you're doing and how you should do
1: it. Yeah, I think that's the, the biggest thing I learned from the Elevation Barn Is that I realized I was doing things by myself mm. Like most entrepreneurs we all like I can do everything by myself. I don't want to share anything I just I'm just gonna do it and I'm gonna muscle through but then you realize it's so much More fun to do it with amazing people, right? And also, it's so much easier to just ask somebody to help you and do it together, partner, collaborate. Absolutely.
0: And the problem is that we're trained in our business schools. It's you doing the exam on your own, and you're judged for how you did. Yeah. You know, I was already doing partnership work because I was copying off the guy next to me. Yeah, Yeah. He was helping me out. That's not bad. I was helping him out on the rugby pitch. Yes. And helping him out with, you know, talking to girls and whatever it was, right? There was a trade of our skills in life. But the way that academia and the way that business is often run is all based on this hero's journey. Yes, This chess beating, you have to be strong for you and look after you, you have to look after your family and you have to, you have to, you have to. Oh my God, it's absolutely exhausting. Yeah. And we're born interdependent. You know, you can't be born and get up and go make yourself a a, a boiled egg. You're totally independent and same when we die. But in between some reason, and it's more Western culture, Yes, that's why we live in Asia, because you see how community, how family, doesn't matter what your skill is. If you're great at coconuts, fantastic. If you're great at at data analysis, great. But the community all helps together and they take away their interaction with community activities that aren't based on job. Yes. If You know here living living in Ubud that the whole village gets out and they clean the streets together. Yeah. And they're taught that from childhood. They all get brushes and they all go out together and they celebrate and they sing, but they all contribute. Beautiful. It doesn't matter your job. Yeah. You're there as part of this village to ensure this village is safe, fed, secure. And we saw that during COVID. Yes. The boule, as we're called, we're all thinking, well, these people are going to storm our houses and take our money and our whatever. Yeah. They didn't need us at all. They just got on with it, and they all looked after each other and made sure they got through yeah. because they were already used to
1: it. It's one of the best places to spend COVID just because, yeah, like they know how to make rice, they know how to hang out with each other, and they are completely fine.
0: Yeah, and they nurture the environment to be yeah. for self-sufficiency of the village, yeah. not sitting in a big city where they don't have any skill set other than the one thing they're hi- hired for.
1: And you don't see a lot of homeless people in Bali, which is actually very rare, no matter where you go, just because everybody takes care of everybody and they're like, yeah. it's normal. There's no ego involved in like, oh, you're lower than me, I'm not gonna help you. People yeah, just help you out. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah the, 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 the times that the people do become homeless is because one, they've, they've influenced the village in a bad way. Yeah. They've caused an abuse or there's something really, really bad and they get kicked out of the village. Yeah. It's very hard to get engaged by another village because they don't want a bad omen in their environment. And so what it does is it ensures the community has a higher level of value and standard in how they approach the energy of, of the group, the community has a code of conduct, which is highly respectful. And that's something I'm, I'm very keen on. You know, Elevation Barn started off with six person res- retreats, yeah. but then I started to put these people together after and the energy of community came back because there was a higher level code of conduct. I have spent four days caring for my brethren on what do they need? Seeing them cry, seeing them laugh, holding their hand, giving solutions, proposing thoughts. During the barn, it's not about you. Yes. It's how are your superpowers showing up to help the other six? Yeah. Because now you've got six people helping you. Beautiful. And suddenly, they're helping plus ideas that you've already saturated with, but they're bringing out truths. And that's how communities formed. And now we've got nearly 500 people, 164 countries, 48 different, sorry, 48 different countries, 160, 64 different professions. It's as though everybody lives in the same village. Yeah. They have a common nod and a common care for each other and a courtesy. So then when we do work together, when you're happy working together, the energy and the impact that you have is awesome. Yeah. Because you actually care about the answers and the solutions you're doing. And it's all plus by each other putting ideas together.
1: I think importantly, there's no ego involved, which is very rare. Yeah, Because there's like billionaires there and there's celebrities there, whoever. And people don't have egos. They're there for each other, which is very yeah. rare. Because I think part of the, in the beginning, you do everything to like, destroy your ego in a good way when it's like you look yourself in the mirror really deep and then you can't have ego Once you see your true self. Yeah, and once you got through that process, then you can start Collaborating. And yeah, so you,
0: you need to have your own strength in what you are and, and ego is a, a tough word I don't know whoever made that up, but I'm sure there's something in there um, But you have to have the strength and your belief You have to have an ego to believe that you can actually achieve and do something and think we're all designed to create think positively otherwise we'd never get up in the morning yes Um, but by actually not talking about the biggest badge that most people wear which is their jobs it disarms you it's like in the advertising world if we're coming up with an epic campaign say I was coming up with a great Netflix campaign or Facebook or whatever we'd say okay come up with the best campaign you can but you can't do TV Yeah. Well, well, I just wanna do a 30 second commercial because I'm an awesome creative director and I want everybody to see my work. Yeah, but you can't do that. Yeah. How are you gonna elevate the impact of your pro- that product or service without TV ads? Yeah. And the ideas come through the roof, it's spectacular. And then you let them do the ad later yeah. in the concepting. It's the same with this. If you disarm the biggest strength of identity, the others start to flourish. You realize that your well-being needs more help, that your physical, mental, spiritual health needs elevating, that you need to feel that you're at home in your home base or that you actually care about the relationships outside your job, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I love the story you shared, which I think is is a great example of this about the guy who went to the barn and he he was using a phone at night and he started doing that. And then how this changed all his life. He started spending more time with his wife. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean Jim's a great guy and you know we we we've had a journey's incredible journeys but he realized that he needed to become more present and just by taking the phone out of the bedroom as small as that may seem suddenly his relationship with his wife got better the conversation got better the discussion that he needed to be at home got better so he would then empower his people at the office more so he didn't go into the office Monday and Friday which meant that he was at home and not doing a two-hour commute each way, which meant he had a now a relationship with his children, which meant he was swimming with his kids Monday, Friday, which meant he lost 20 pounds in weight, Yeah. which meant that he got fitter and he was having his sex life back again, which meant that his wife was honest, that she didn't like living in this white bread place in, in Connecticut when she was Asian and felt like she was ridiculed. Which meant because he'd given the confidence to the office, they didn't need to be he didn't need to be in the office Monday and Friday that they could stand on their own two feet. And then he moved to Los Angeles and then he opened another office and his business quadrupled and his wife business blossomed and is worth ten times more than his business. Wow. So just them the first thing is to push the first domino. Yeah. And it may be a simple one as as don't take your phone in your bedroom. Because once you start making these actions guided And this is the most important bit. you have to have that north star ambition of where you want to go then if you make decisions based on where that means for you and your family and your life it will naturally take you to a new destiny
1: yeah i love the north star part Mm -hmm. where you actually sort of solidify who you are and, and where you want to go i don't know why people don't do it it seems so most of those things seem so obvious yeah just what do you want to do in life? You need to figure it out. If you yeah. don't know, what are you doing? Yeah. You're just, you're, you're living unconsciously. Absolutely. Unaware. Yeah. And for me, that was a big change.
0: Yeah. For, if you understand who you're doing this for, even if it's for yourself, I am what? What, what is the difference that you make in there's life? Through what? What is the impact and skill set that you've got? Then you start to really connect to a clearer destiny. It yeah. just like, oh right, so I'm gonna make a decision. Should I do this or this? Well, if I do this, I can't do that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for just that guidance. And it's hard. It's really hard. Like so many people have North Star ambitions, but they never even look at it. Yeah. Now, if I was a company and a brand, I pay people to stick to that North Star. Yeah and if they don't do it they may get lost from their job they may get fired yeah. so people go you know what does this deliver on our business mission if it doesn't we don't do it if it does it does and that's how companies become so valuable we need to do it for ourselves yes if we realize that this is what we can bring to the world and what we want to do and what people need and this is how it helps them why don't you do it more and i don't mean you know walking old ladies across the street i mean just elevate your perspective and your energy so it's joyful see the beauty in other people and then go on a journey that has impact because you're actually aware of yourself and aware of who you surround yourself with
1: beautiful but the domino part I think is the most important if you don't find the right domino your North Star
0: yeah yeah
1: so any tips quick tips I guess how to at least start looking for your domino
0: yeah I mean you have to have space and you have to be able to reflect of what is an important domino. When I do a North Star, it takes me four days before I write them for people. Yeah. If you try and do a North Star just out of the fresh air, what what's the answer? It's not being percolated. Yeah. And I used to do that and it would take a day just to write those 16 words. Nightmare. Yeah. So now I get those 16 words that are accumulated by everyone's perspectives. and. The people on the retreat don't realize how many, how many times I ask questions about where they want to be and where they want to go and what are the lessons and the insights. I ask them indirectly. I ask them to draw it. I ask them to share it. I ask them to talk through somebody else. Yes. They're all leading to that 16-word statement at the end, all that, the whole of those four days. Wow. It is allowing me lo- li- to listen to you from all the different dimensions. Because this dimension you may tell this story.
1: Yeah.
0: But if I'm looking from this dimension, this dimension, this dimension, this dimension, this dimension, this dimension, suddenly all of them are informed and then the clarity is there.
1: Yeah,
0: And then we just take that and then you just take it out there. That's why we're evolving the business now so much more so that there's a big after retreat service. Yeah. Because it's very easy to go, you know what? Wow, I saw the light, I saw my solution, but. Now I can't be asked to keep on it because I'm just addicted to my old lifestyle. Yeah. Even if it's detrimental.
1: I think integration is the most important part in any anything we do. Yeah, And people don't, I mean, we as a humans, we don't pay attention. We're like, I'm changed. I'm woken up. So it's going to be fine from now. And then you go back and there's two kids screaming and your wife is upset. And you're like, okay, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying where I am.
0: Right. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to share where you're going. A lot of a lot of the barn members, their their their, their uh, partners come, yeah. their husbands or their wives or their girlfriends or their boyfriends or whatever, even their kids, because they're like, I need to be able to have this understood by my partner so they can support me. Yeah. Otherwise, it could be all. Well, what did somebody tell you? Well, you actually don't get told anything on the barn. Yeah, all we do is allow you to reflect, and you tell yourself. You know, EB is in reflection B. That's all it is. It's a very clever reflection technique that helps propel what you want to do. That's why every barn is totally unique, because every every story is totally unique. That's why it's so exciting leading these, because it's like sitting doing like some listening to somebody's story for four days and caring. Yeah. Why? Because if you care, you can help put a resolve to it and a, col- a conclusion that becomes their wings.
1: That's what I noticed about yourself that I really like that you were part of you're really involved you're this busy guy who runs lots of things but you were there every step of the way doing exercises and being there and caring and asking questions supporting which a lot of people in your position would not do but then it's because if it's your north star this is exactly what you want to do and where you want to be that's why it's so authentic yeah at least that's what I what I got from it yeah
0: it is and and to be honest, it absolutely, absolutely exhausts me because mm. I am so engaged and it's like those ultramarathon runners. I'm going to run with you for the four days. I'm mm. in all the way. I'm going to get you across the line. Then good luck what you're doing after that. But you will cross the line. And there hasn't been a person, over 500 people have done the bond. No one has not crossed the line. I do not leave anyone behind. And that's what all our guides, we have 14 guides now. And they're all people that naturally do that. And now we've given them a process, a unique process to help people give them wings. Like this weekend, I'm, I'm doing the Elevation Barn for 50 school children, wow. 12 years old. Beautiful. A very simple exercise, and they're gonna be partnered with a parent yeah. or a guardian so that they can see and understand each other. And suddenly when you realize that you're seen for who you truly are, yeah. now you can really enjoy life. And it do, it's age agnostic. 12 year old kids going all the way up to 70 year olds. I was t- chatting to the eldest barn member uh, last night and he's 72, he's a doctor, he's just moved back from Bali to Ireland with his young family. And he said, you know, you opened up my eyes in my early 70s yeah. to a chapter opportunity and I left here to go back to my roots. Wow. I didn't have the confidence before because yeah. I, I didn't have the confidence to tell that story because sometimes going home when you've traveled all your life it's, it's kind of like well why are you going home have you given in with this epic travel yeah no I've actually i am just come back more rounded not wiser and better than anybody yeah but it's something I had to do for my world
1: beautiful another thing that you were saying in the retreat that I want to talk about is le- the number three so number three plays a very important role for you can you describe why and how it started
0: yeah in the branding world I always think that to have what we call as an unfair advantage i.e when everything is stacked together it makes you more complete than the competition Um, is so for example um, I worked on well my team worked on the world cup and so we did that for coca-cola excuse me We worked on the World Cup. So we did that for Coca-Cola in South Africa. And the campaign and the work was all based on a trifecta. It's soccer or football for us Brits. It's um, South Africa and it's Coca-Cola. Together it's unique. If it was just Coca-Cola it would just be Coca-Cola and just whitewashing or redwashing the place. If it's just South Africa, it wouldn't connect to anybody outside South Africa. And if it wasn't football, it wouldn't connect to the inner core and heart of the people why they're there in South Africa. So I always, when I'm doing something go, how can I make it a three? Like even if I'm going on the beach, this morning I went with my daughter for a walk on the beach. It's a walk for me. It's a bonding with my daughter and talking. And it's the walking the dogs they have exercise trifecta yeah everybody is benefiting by the three elements coming together and we naturally feel that right if we just go for a walk on the beach on our own we kind of feel an energy of loneliness yeah and so what do we do we open up a phone which is an absolute distraction from the energies around you yeah. total waste so the key is to be able to have these threes with the barn it's the same thing the letter E for elevation bond is three prongs and so is the b that's connected together there's a three when we do a retreat there's six people six leaders so the three is multiplied by the diversity of thought that are pairing up together that we always have three people navigating the overarching experience we have the guide we have a chef and then we have a support so the three always comes in and then it extends out so even when we're doing larger groups we try and make it a connection to the number three because it just works. And, and weirdly, my lucky number is 13. Okay. So even though it doesn't go into three, the three comes back out. There are right. three. Uh, there are 13 signs that represent your different um, horoscope zone. But one was got rid of yeah. because it's the most powerful. 13 is actually the one of the luckiest numbers you can have. But it's extinguished because it gave people too much power. So for me, this three bit keeps coming in
1: crazily. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely made me think. How can you do certain things that would benefit multiple angles? This podcast is a great example, but there's a lot of things that anybody can do that can not just be for them, but for somebody else and benefit in many different ways. Which yeah,
0: I mean, look, really you you've got three guys here. Yeah, they're no. all covering you from the three dimensions. Yeah, and you're lead, leading. But if one of these guys was missing, they'd have to be running between the two cameras because they're, they're like something is missing off the edge yeah. you know
1: and also one for me that's a beautiful conversation I can build connection and network and people can learn from it so bingo yeah
0: yeah. 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 It, it just feels natural right it yeah. just feels like it should grow like
1: that yeah. I feel when you connect to something like that which I didn't understand I wasn't unaware of what I was doing but after listening to you I became aware and I understood why it empowers me so much yeah. everything that have many different angles; it's worth doing. Like yeah. you're happy when you're spending your time. But if you just do something for yourself, let's say go eat by yourself, well, it you don't feel really well. You're just lonely. Right. So as long as you can incorporate more and more things into it, yeah, at least free. Uh,
0: I even used it when I was younger. Well, I, I still do it now. But if something comes up three times, destiny is is just slapping you. Yeah that says, you need to look at this. It keeps coming up. And for me, it was like going to America. I was always watching American stuff as a kid. I always wondered what it was like to be in America. And then a friend said, do you want to become a life, be a lifeguard in in New Jersey in America? I'm like, wow, America keeps coming up. Yeah. I'll do it. And it was the best transformation. I realized that you know, having an English accent, people would say, wow, you sound so intelligent. I'm like, no one's ever used the word intelligent and yeah. connected my name to it. Yeah. Wow. And then people would say, I have no idea what you're saying. But they still thought I was intelligent. And just those elements, like going to India. First time I went, India had come up three times. And a friend said, you want to come ride the highest road in the world on a Royal Enfield bullet? 4,000 miles. I was like, fuck, that sounds awesome. I'm in. He says, what kind of bike do you ride? I said, I've ridden a motorbike well, we're going in three months and you got to ride for four. Well, i got three months to learn. Three came yeah. up again, right? Duh, duh, duh. I broke my back after climbing the highest mountain in Russia, Mount Elbrus. Wow. I did yoga and I put my spine and I popped my disc out and had to have the back surgery. My Antarctica, I've been interested about that all my life. My old climbing buddy pinged me and he says, you want to go climb the highest mountain in Antarctica? It's minus 40, three weeks, three again. We're going to have to get there. Wow. I said, I'm in. He said, do you have the money? I said, no, but I'll get it. I committed and then I work it out. Yeah, But it had come up three times. It was part of my journey, why not? And so I did it and changed my life again.
1: Well, wow. I don't even understand how you have time to, to endure into all those adventures because you seem like a, such, such a busy guy. Is that like you take time off to do it or is that like you're just saying, okay, everything can wait and I'll just go to Antarctica?
0: Well, again, going off that three, right? I ended up working with the guy who was my climbing buddy. So it was actually business and it came in. The guy I did the Himalayas with became my client. We launched a, a, a telecom company called Boost Mobile together. So I actually tie in things. I go with somebody I really like, I go to a place that's really exciting and I, I learn something new from that new environment. So it's like, how do I actually bolster it so it's worthwhile? Yeah. It's like going to an event. If you go to a party and you're like, yeah, I'm not sure if I should go. If you don't have three reasons you should go, or you can make up three reasons, don't go. Yeah. Or if you're at the party and you were like, you know what, I'll roll the dice and see. If you're not getting, you haven't met three interesting people, or you've had three interesting pers- thoughts or perspectives, just leave. Leave when the party's good. It's so much easier, but I am busy because I'm just insatiably happy, enjoying and celebrating my curiosity. Yeah. It's like, I, do i take time off absolutely i'm, I'm going motorbiking with our mutual friend tomorrow on mount agung Yeah. dirt biking do i have time no i have a stack of reasons why i shouldn't yeah but i have a stack of reasons why i need to breathe and do those things and i do that i just you know try and control and decide where i'm putting my energy at the right time so it can help people and and that's why i'm doing this as a career because there is nothing better than giving people wings yeah. to help elevate where they need to go. Whereas in my job before, I was selling shit to people they didn't need. You didn't need a third car or another cell phone yes. or to drink that. So I mean, when that's you're actually, the saddest
1: thing, yeah, when you realize you build your career, you're excited first, and you realize nobody actually needs what I do, even if they pay you money for it. And I had the same realization. I'll be like. Wow, it's so sad that in reality, I spent so much time learning and doing and growing and then realized in reality, if you look deep inside, yeah. nobody really needs that.
0: I think the sadness is more that if you realize that and you don't get anybody else or yourself doing anything about it, yeah. that's the sadness. I don't think there are any wrong journeys. Life is a road that has fog on it and shortcuts and dead ends and crashes and rocks on the road. That's life. Yeah. And you, you will have learned. We all learn something from every moment. And most of the pivots that we make in life are because something's really gone wrong. Yeah. And and I hate to say it, but you know, people that actually have these challenges, you know, the reason we're in Bali is because things went wrong in my family. Went wrong with my my daughter with her academic qualification skills. She, I didn't know she was dyslexic or ADD and blah blah blah. But we didn't just go, oh, let's leave New York. If I wasn't happy in my, if, if I hadn't been unhappy in my job, I wouldn't have left. Yeah. So there is times and places that you get the signs. It's up for you to do something about it. Yeah. But if things aren't, if you're not getting any signs, maybe you're on the right path. That sounds good. We can beat ourselves up constantly, you know. Yeah.
1: I was just talking before this. We had a podcast with Janur Yasa, who does plastic exchange, CNN Hero of the Year. So, amazing guy. He was saying, I worked as a janitor and I never thought that this is good. But then I o- was owning my own restaurant. He owns Moxa, which mm. is a good restaurant amazing, in yeah. He's like, I'm going to a washroom. I'm looking at it and I'm like, you're not doing the good work because I was a janitor. I know how to do the good work. And that is this way he taught his stuff. The skills to really see things and the quality of service became really really high just because he realized that my experience working as janitor is so important
0: yeah yeah I think that's a huge failure for a lot of a lot of the system now is that people think they can just drop into being a manager or a leader or whatever it is yeah I really believe that if you don't know what it's like, like it's taken me five years to get Elevation Barn to its maturity because I didn't know how to lead retreats. Yeah. I could lead a business workshop. I didn't know how to listen to people for four days. I didn't know how to think about people's different dimensions of life. And over five years, I've had to pivot and change and perfect and alter and drop and learn and fail and succeed to get to a product where I'm like now it feels like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Now let's take it to the world. Yeah. Beautiful. Cuz otherwise if you don't do the graft, the hard work, how do you know what people are feeling yeah. and what they're thinking? You can't. And you can't do everything. Everyone's got their own journeys, but
1: but it's you it become more relatable. Yeah. Like I was working as a software developer and uh, when I come to teams as a manager, they would well, they would be okay with me. But somebody else would come who is a project manager. They were like, you don't know what we're doing. Get out of here. And they'll come and they'll love me because, well, I'm just like them. Yeah, I've been in their shoes and I'm just here to support them. They understand that.
0: Yeah, you've been on that journey. There's a level of respect. Yeah, exactly. You know, but it's, uh it, it's, it. you've got to just, it's the same with all this stuff. You've You can also listen to people that know those areas a lot better. You don't have to do the task, but you can listen and they will have the better answers as well. Yeah. The question is, do you ask them how they can improve it? And sometimes it gets exhausting because we think we have to do it all. That, that's, that's rubbish. It's like, how do you give them space and freedom to apply their passion and put their wings out and see how it goes? And maybe your indirect perspective, your your naive thought could add a dimension of perspective they have not thought of. But th- that's the biggest danger for any entrepreneur and leader is thinking they've got the answers and they know how to do it. Yeah. Is when I was a lad or whatever but if someone's got a shortcut or somebody's got a different solution all right how do we learn from that
1: yeah beautiful the last part here I have called soulful questions so mm. I'm asking similar questions to everybody who comes uh, you don't have to answer in a short form you can take as much time as you want so it's about six questions uh, what were your biggest failures so far you can choose one or a couple and what do you learn from it Ooh.
0: biggest failures
1: or challenges, if you don't like the word failure.
0: No, I'm wondering. I've probably got so many. You know, you probably run out of memory on your computer. Um, <clears throat> biggest failures are probably one that I feel was not being, was following my destiny and my passion for my business and life um, more than the amount of time I, I was giving to my children. I think and I've made a big effort to be totally present even though they're in London my my daughters they're the the heart of of me my, all my kids and my wife are just part of my heart but there's a huge guilt and there's a huge uh, worry that how you lead your journey can can lead your relationship with your children astray and are you there enough are you there in the right way nobody really teaches you how to be a parent
1: yep really
0: hard and we only and and also not many of us will listen to people how to be a parent because intuitively we're born to have children right and therefore we intuitively think we have the right answers but I didn't put my ego down because I had to have one to fight and survive when I was younger I didn't put my ego down enough to realize it yeah so that's one I think a second one he said, I didn't know how, and I haven't known how, how to celebrate the real me, the little boy. I knew he was there. And usually when he came into my thinking, my, my challenges, I told him to leave. Yeah. But I've started to let him stick around and put an arm around him and go, you know what? You're okay, you're gonna be safe. I'm gonna look after you, I'm your best friend. And I think I sometimes feel that I didn't nurture the little boy or help the little boy in what he needed. And for me, the little boy's more introverted. He's quiet, he's creative, he's not you know the guy that's flying around the world and gregarious and doing these things to lift other people out. He just needs a hug, yeah, and some love and i th- I think I'd failed um giving him attention because again i didn't I didn't know, yeah, and probably the third because I have to have three for sure is making enough space because of my passion to move and my need to move, making enough space for my loved ones to really support where they need to go in life. I've always been the carrier and that can become a bad habit. And going back to the superhero powers of being the motivator, by being the carrier, you can sometimes feel useless if you're not carrying other people. But some people need to walk. Some people need to go in a different direction some people need to have their own journey and um i realize it now but it's still hard yeah certainly not perfect in any any swipe and i've got probably many friends and and partners and things in my journey of life that would echo that and say you know what <laughs> damn you're right yeah but but at least knowing that makes me try and be more conscious of how i how i handle myself
1: beautiful uh, the other question is, what are some of the routines that you have to get you into focus and work on your mission? It can be morning routines, night routines, anything that, that you do.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's an idealistic approach, but I do really like and I've started doing it a lot more now is that silent space and it can be just lying in bed in the morning before you get up. Just that time to reflect in the very calm between waking up and action. So I've tried to make that a habit. And sometimes I need to have that space from work uh, just even by a a distraction. So I've created distraction devices to stop me getting into the work. Like I go diving, I dive every other week. I get seasick, I actually feel awful diving, (laughs) to be honest. I take ginger tablets, I feel awful. Um, But I dive and I take a camera and it prevents me thinking from anything else and it makes me very present. And so I capture things just to be present in the moment. And on my second dive, I feel like maybe the narcotic element of being down in in the waters, but I'm flying, it's awesome. Motorbiking tomorrow, I can't think of anything else while I'm dirt biking, because I am at that point. Or even if I'm with my kids, don't take the phone, be present. And if you don't have the distraction or the phone, you'll actually realize, don't take it to video them, Get somebody else to do it, or there'll be a professional photographer or whatever, but I should be in the moment. Yeah. So trying to do those things as habits is really important. I also know that I'm far more optimistic and motivated in the mornings. Like I feel sometimes invincible in what I can do. So I put a lot of my ideas and thoughts down, but what I've realized is some of those ideas can be naive. So I act on them later in the day when the reality of how those actions can come to play yeah. and not in the depressive times where you know we all have those times when we're like ooh, world's ending I'm no good and everyone's not helping and no one's good enough and blah 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 try and you know we have these pendulum swings naturally try and make my decisions in the pendulum swing where it's in the common calm and the area of you know what I can live with that decision beautiful
1: um, what are some of the beliefs that you used to hold it can be 10 years ago one year ago yesterday you can choose any time frame Hmm. that you don't hold anymore
0: well one of the big ones that's actually only really started to kick in is the belief that i need to be doing the task to enjoy the task um listening to my children i was talking to my daughter one of my daughters today about her new job opportunity and I could tell her what to do and decide where she should go in her career but it's such a joy to see her doing her journey I don't want her to fall in any potholes and and have any distractions and stuff to see my other daughter you know Amelia doing that and Beatrice doing the things that she's doing with the, with her humanitarian projects it's just so rewarding even Bella dancing and doing the things, ice skating now. When I was younger, I'd feel like I had to do it or I'd feel that huge, you know, FOMO. Yeah. Why am I not doing that stuff? But now I actually have started to realize there's more pleasure in seeing others celebrate their happiness and joy. Uh, and I don't, I no longer resent that I'm not doing it. I'm like, you know what, I'm quite happy I'm not. I'm quite happy, you know, the party, there was a party the other night and I, my wife wanted me to really go. But I just really wanted to reconnect to some people I hadn't had chance to connect with for a long time. And I felt guilty that I should try and do both and I shouldn't because other people wanted me there. But I've realized that do things that also make me happy. And the wife was, you know, Jana was like, it's great. I'm glad you had a good time because you come back a, a happier person. And you know what, we missed you, but we'll see you in a couple of days.
1: Beautiful. Well, um, the other question is, is this imaginary situation. Imagine you are in a deathbed, and then you have to pass something to your kids. And it could be one or two things, um, the last things. What would you say? What would they be? The piece of advice. Oof. Just be
0: present. Celebrate the moment you're in and do it with love and joy and, and be happy in what you're doing. Because if you're not, you've just lost those minutes, those hours, those days. So I think the number one thing is be happy. Be happy with who you're with and be happy on the journey that you're going in.
1: Beautiful. The last question. How to Live a Happy and Fulfilling Life According to Will Travis.
0: Step back from the wall, realize there's always a way over it, around it, or under it. And when you step back from that wall, see who you're with and make sure that person thinks you're awesome and that they celebrate what you're doing.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> well, all my questions, I really appreciate you finding time and coming here and sharing your wisdom. I learned a lot from you during the retreat and now. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. Great questions as well. Thank N- you. The last one nearly caught me out. <laughs> Luckily, uh, I managed to hold the tears back.
1: All right, next time we're going to get your tear up a little bit. We need to do that. It's a mission. Excellent. Thank For you. everybody listening, you guys know where to find us. Talk to you next one. Bye-bye.
0: That was beautiful. Fuck well, you, you pro. Amazing, I like those last questions as well.